Hello, Pastor Steve Waldron with Biblical Archaeology Today. So thankful you're here with us. Glad to be your host. We're going to be looking at one of the more interesting and kind of recent archaeological discoveries. And it's known officially as Kerbet Kayafa. And it's also known as the Elah Fortress. Now you're getting something a little closer. The Valley of Elah is where David met Goliath. And so it's an ancient fortress city overlooking the Elah Valley where that happened and dated to the first half of the 10th century BC. So it's around David's time. And so the ruins of the fortress were uncovered in 2007. I remember traveling through Israel. You see all these mounds. They told us that uh, they're just scratching the surface of all the archaeology, not only in Israel, but the all of the ancient Near East. And it's near the Israeli city of Beit Shemesh, 20 miles from Jerusalem. It looks like it is uh, maybe east of Jerusalem. Fascinating thing, it covers nearly six acres. It's circled by a 700 meter, 2300 feet city wall constructed of stones weighing up to eight tons each. That just blows my mind. Eight tons. That much wall. And so it dates from about 1025 to 975 B.C., and that's a range which includes a biblical date for the biblical kingdom of David. And so some people think that this was one of David's palaces. There's a large structure at the center, administrative building dating to the reign of King David where he might have lodged at some point. Some people say, well, we really think it's something else. It's Canaanite or, or something. Let's just look at some of the finds from here. God bless you again. Thank you for being here. One of the kind of, I'd say the more recent trend in archaeology, they've been finding a lot of jar handles with names on them. And so that they found that here too. 500 marked jar handles bearing a single fingerprint or sometimes two or three were found marking jar handles as characteristic of the kingdom of Judah. And it seems this practice already begun in the early Iron Age. So that's kind of uh, interesting. There's also the Isbael inscription in 2012, an inscription in Canaanite alphabetic script. And that's basically... Paleo-Hebrew was found on the shoulder of ceramic jar. The inscription read, Isabel, son of Beda. Or that could also be Ishbel, which uh, one of Saul's sons had a name similar to that. And it was dated to the late 11th or 10th century BC. And then there were shrines there. And this has been another fascinating thing because if it was Judaic, which seems it very well could have been. Um, it had some weird stuff going on. <laughs> Let's look. May 2012, archaeologists, and this is still Wikipedia, announced the discovery of three large rooms that were likely used as cultic shrines. 
While the Canaanites and Philistine practiced their cults and separate temples and shrines, they did not have separate rooms within the buildings dedicated only to religious rituals. This may suggest the rooms did not belong to these two cultures. According to Garfinkel, the decorating of cultic rooms like any human figurines. So now that's interesting too. But the population of Kerbat Kiaf observed at least two biblical bands. It had pork and uh, graven images. And thus practiced a different cult than the Canaanites or the Philistines. Uh, and I need to rephrase and reemphasize that that the population of Kerbat Kalfa observed at least two biblical bands, um, that they did not eat pork is what I'm driving at. They didn't have graven images. <laughs> so I wanted to clarify that. Portable shrines. Three portable shrines were also discovered. The smaller shrines are boxes shaped with different decorations showing impressive architectonic and decorative styles. Now, I will say that's a new term to me, architectonic fascinating, like tectonic, and then arca, like uh, architecture. Garfinkel suggested the existence of a biblical parallel regarding the existence of such shrines, such as 2 Samuel 6. One of the shrines is decorated with two pillars and a lion. According to Garfinkel, the style and decoration of these cultic objects is very similar to the biblical description of some features of Solomon's temple. Now, also, on July 18th of 2013, the Israeli's Antiquity Authority issued a press release about the discovery of a structure believed to be King David's palace in the Judean Shephelah. The archaeological team uncovered two large buildings dated to the 10th century B.C., one a large palatial structure, the other a pillared storeroom with hundreds of stamped storage vessels. The claim that the larger structure may be one of King David's palaces led to significant media coverage. The massive structure located on a hill in the center of the city was decorated with alabaster from, imported from Egypt. On one side, it offered a view of the two city gates, Ashdod in the Mediterranean, on the other, the Elah Valley. During the Byzantine era, a wealthy farmer built a, a home on the site, cutting the palace and two. So that's interesting. One last thing of significance here is quite possibly one of the oldest, if not the oldest example we've got of ancient Canaanite alphabetic writing, Paleo-Hebrew. Um, Phoenician, Paleo-Hebrew, Canaanite, are referred to as sometimes distinct, sometimes interchangeable. There's some nuances because it was kind of development, but it's very difficult to know what people are talking about when they refer to that sometimes. And so there's a 5.9 inch by 6.5 inch ostracon, a written piece of pottery, trapezoid shape, found in 2008. 2010, it was placed on display at the Iron Age Gallery in the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. So it's very difficult to read. I'm sitting here looking at it because it's so worn. One possible inscription is, Do not oppress and serve God, 
despoiled him, her, because it's, you know, kind of messed around. The judge and the widow wept. He had the power over the resident alien and the child. He eliminated them together. The men and the chief's officers have established a king. He marked 60 servants among the community's habitations, generations. I'll give you two other interpretations of that. You shall not do it, but worship the god El. Judge the slave and the widow. Judge the orphan, the stranger. Plead for the infant. Plead for the poor and the widow. Rehabilitate the poor. At the hands of the king, protect the poor, the slave. Support the stranger. January 10th, 2010, the University of Haifa issued a press release. Haifa, I've heard in both ways stating the text was a social statement relating to slaves, widows, and orphans. According to the interpretation, the text uses verbs that were characteristic of Hebrew and uh, which were rarely used in other regional languages. Particular words that appear in the text, such as almana, widow, are specific to Hebrew and are written differently in other local languages. The content itself, it was argued, is also unfamiliar to all the cultures in the region other than Hebrew society. This was one thing I found significant. It was further maintained that the present inscription yielded social elements similar to those found in biblical prophecies, markedly different from those current in other cultures, which write of the glorification of the gods by taking care of their physical needs. Gershon Galil claims that the language of the inscription is Hebrew and that eight of the 18 words written on the inscription are exclusively biblical. He also claimed that 30 major archaeological scholars do support this thesis. Alan Millard, who I do respect a lot, I did want to read what he said about it. Millard believes the language of the inscription is Hebrew, Canaanite, Phoenician, or Moabite, and it most likely consists of a list of names written by someone unused to writing. So it's it's difficult. But it does have significance. So Kerbet Kayafa, lot there. They're just finding stuff, going into the Holy Land with a Bible in one hand, a shovel in the other. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Hope you'll join us every day. Share with your friends, family, neighbors, college groups. We're just thankful you're here. Pray for us. Uh, leave us a five star review. If you'd like to give an offering, you can go to tithe.ly, New Life of Albany, Georgia. Pastor there, Steve Waldron. Or you can go to newlifeofalbany.com and leave it at PayPal there. So God bless. Continue to pray for us. I hope to see you again tomorrow. God bless. Bye-bye.